and Saul also among the prophets. It's like the parallel verse to why do you still grieve for Saul? The goal tonight is to give us a survey. Kind of go as far in the life of David as we can in this week with the attempt to cover much of his story by the time we get to Easter. I would have liked to have had that running start last Sunday to, to give us a big boot up. David and Goliath, I think most people remember. You know, they know about uh, the shepherd boy. They know about the big giant and the stone. There's only a couple of pieces I want to bring from before that story into tonight's story. As you make your way to chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, that's where we'll be picking up. But from before that, um, two pieces of the early David story that really influence what's happening next and the up and down and the topsy-turvy. And these two pieces, they, they go together. Um, they're in chapter 16 uh, at in verse 13, chapter 16, it's the end of the anointing of David narrative where uh, Samuel has gone down to Jesse in Bethlehem and they've called out all the brothers and they anoint David at the end. He, he is christened, he is Messiah, he is made king. And it says then that the spirit of the Lord, which you know I would read that as the spirit of Jesus Christ, but if you want to say you know the Holy Spirit, like that, that's okay too, right? Uh, the spirit whom the Father would send. Um, most people would not say this is the Father, right? But it's, it's the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the one whom the Father and the Son sent. He came upon David from that day forward. So, so David is just, you know, he's, he's a good kid. He's, he's an Israelite. He's circumcised. He believes. He can kill a bear. He can kill a lion. No one really believes it. But, you know, his brothers think he's making it up, but he does it, right? Uh, he praises the God of Israel in his spare time. Um, but he's just a normal guy. And then this prophet shows up and puts oil on his head, and the spirit of the living God rushes upon him for the rest of his life. We have to believe that this is a special anointing given to David, and it goes with the anointing that was given to Saul. He got one too when he was anointed king. But look at the next verse, verse 14. But the spirit of Jesus departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from Jesus troubled him. That's, that's a whole mouthful right there. First, first off, the guy had faith, had the Holy Spirit, lost it. We got whole denominations that exist because they don't believe that. <laughs> you know, and we argue with them about it. I'm not sure we understand what it means to be in jeopardy of losing our faith, that it is a possible thing. You can shipwreck the faith. That's the way the New Testament talks about it. So you got that thing to begin with here. But the other part of it is that once this man has shipwrecked his faith, which is what Saul does, God is under no illusion that he owes Saul any salvation, any grace, any giving. In fact, he just goes ahead and sends a demon to plague him until he dies. And that's set up right there before the rest of the story takes place. It's going to come in and out. Saul's going to throw spears at people. <laughs> yeah, It's usually because this spirit is tormenting him, and this spirit is from God. Why? Wow. That's an important wisdom question that God knows how to hold ungodly men in trial while saving his remnant through the midst of it and proving to his remnant how good he is. Who is David if David is not saved by Jesus from Saul? Yeah. So that is part of the whole thing that will come upon us. Um, 
And the other piece is that uh, David does end up sort of in Saul's court for a bit uh, before the David and Goliath story. There's different ways to try to harmonize which comes first. I think the easiest one is that there were a lot of people that Saul brought into his court. And so that he doesn't remember David later isn't that big of a deal. But certainly after David has gone out and stood against this nine foot tall guy, with his 200-pound armor and this 20-pound spear, and he's killed him with a rock. Uh, well, at this point, it, that's exactly it. Saul asked the question to Abner, who's that kid belong to? <laughs> you know, who's is he? Where'd he come from? Uh, and, and they bring David you know, before Saul, and, and he says, I am from Jesse, a Bethlehemite. And from that point, David is taken into the household of Saul because Jonathan makes him his, his friend. That's what we're going to pick up here in a moment. But one last piece um, from that back end of, of the whole fight with, with David and Goliath. So I'm not weaving this very well for you. If, uh, bear with me. The, um, the whole point of this narrative for us at St. Paul this year going into Easter is that I want all of us to believe that the anointing we have in our baptism is superseding the anointing David got to be king. Like we have, we have a more powerful anointing. Right, so from the moment the Holy Spirit rushes upon David and he's a prophet of God the rest of his life as a king, like that's amazing and all, but we got baptized. It's a bigger deal. It really is. Like we all have the Holy Spirit rushed upon us as we like it. Open the Bible and read. He is alive. Yeah. So that, that is what I want us to have driven home. Uh, that our hearts are in Christ now. He's called us to that. That we aren't to be afraid of this. And then in that way, all of this parallel between Saul and David that, that I'm going to be digging on is about pulling out wisdom so that as we walk as people of God in an age of darkness, uh, that we are not fools, right? but that we can see what, what does a wicked man look like? Saul is, is what a wicked man looks like. He, he's a hypocrite. Right? What does a Christian look like? David is what a Christian looks like. And so when David goes out to the armies and he sees that the armies are standing there and the Philistine is saying, you can't fight me no matter what, David says, wait, don't we have God on our side? That's really how he goes out there. He isn't so convinced that he can kill a lion and that's how it'll work out. He's convinced he has God on his side because that's the promises Moses gave them. No one can stand against them as long as they go out in his name. Yeah. And then on top of this, now that he's been anointed to be king, this is one of these really cool things. You ever watch one of those TV shows where like the people figure out that like from the future they're going to be alive? So that means that from like now until a certain point they can't die. And then they use it to their advantage to fix the story, right? Like David's got that right now. Like I anoint you king of Israel. Well, there's another one and he's, he's still alive. So until that guy's dead, I can't die. Yeah, I'll fight the giant, no problem. Yeah, I mean, why not? And, and, and he goes out to do so, and he gathers these five smooth stones, five. Number of chaos, number of serendipity, uh, number of antagonism, a number of building, if it goes right. But, but five, why five? I've always wondered. And, and it struck me this year for the first time, it, it maybe, maybe, is a moment of his own doubt. Because he only needed one. He came in the name of Yahweh, and he only needed one. You have to reach for two, three, or five. Yeah. So from there, again, not weaving it as light, not tightly as I'd like, but with that in mind, that David only needed one stone because he had Jesus on his side. And Saul is already outside of the faith, and God has written him off. 
Okay, the story goes on from there. Chapter 18, verse 1. I'm not going to go verse by verse. I'm going to go section by section and just kind of describe what happens, okay? So the first thing that's going to take place is that Saul falls in, I'm Saul, Jonathan falls in love with David, but not in the way that most, say, Americans would think of that. This is in the sense of like, bromance or hero worship a little bit. It's best friendship in a way, but without any of the kind of cheese that we would bring to that. Uh, There's something about the way David stands as he presents himself in faith before Saul that Jonathan simply wants to follow David. He just sees him as worth being around. And he says as much, he gives his sword to him and a bunch of other stuff. And from that moment on, they're kind of inseparable. Like he he becomes his sidekick inside of Saul's house. Uh, David then gets assigned to do a bunch of things. Verse 5 and following will say he, he acts very wisely. He's sent here and there. And everywhere he goes, he makes good decisions, even though he's young. And so it kind of takes note of this, that it's, it's strange that he's in the sight of all the people, but they, they follow him because they know that God is with him. And as they're coming back from some of these events and the conquering that he's able to do, they're even singing songs about him now. And, and uh, this kind of maybe stands set out for you in your text where the, the ladies will sing in verse 7, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh, perhaps, perhaps an exaggeration, but... In any case, this is the beginning of the downhill for Saul. You can read right in the next verse, Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. What more can he have but the kingdom? So who's got the kingdom? Saul does. Who gave it to Saul? God did. Does Saul believe that? Nope. <laughs> Not even. And that's kind of the whole point. That's kind of the whole point. From the moment he has it, he thinks he has to keep it. And then as soon as God says, you're not going to keep it, he tries anyway. Huh? And then as soon as he sees who God's going to give it to, and he figures it out, oh, David's going to get the kingdom. Then he proceeds to try to kill that guy as if he could stop God. Even though, as the story will go, that guy has no bearing on the death of Saul himself. Saul will die for his own faults, not for David's. Uh, it's, it's here from the start. And, and so every time you see Saul, ever, he is not a pitiable character at all at this point. He is, he's a sinister and side-eyeing guy. You know, He's looking askance all the time as he watches. It happened the next day, verse 10, a distressing spirit comes upon him. And so David plays the music like he's done before. This is set up from before, right? And the demonic rage, the fit or whatever comes upon Saul. And David plays the music. But this time, uh, Saul, is, Saul is done with it. He even says it in his head. I will pin David to the wall. And he throws the spirit at him twice, twice. Um, Therefore, uh, Saul removed him from his presence, uh, but David is sent out by Saul uh, to kind of do other stuff, to go fight against the Philistines. Saul gets this idea that he will set up a situation where David will get killed in battle. And so he keeps trying to assign him to different things that will get him in trouble. And he has this happen a little bit uh, with regard to the marriage of his daughter, 
Mikkel, which will happen after he doesn't marry Merib. And there's sort of a give and take there that has to do with, again, Saul doesn't trust him. Saul's trying to put him in a bad position. I know I'll give her my daughter to marry. Well, why would, why would that do that, right? Well, it's going to cost him a lot of money, actually, is what it, he will have to pay a king's dowry for the daughter. Um, and how is he going to do that? Well, he's going to have to go out and fight to gain some, some treasure, right? And, and in any case, that's what's set up with Merib, and then it doesn't follow through. And then uh, Saul finds out that Mikkel, his younger daughter, actually does think hero David is pretty cute and really wants to marry him. And so, hey, they set it up. But from the start, Saul says in his head, this will be so that the Philistines will be against him. Which doesn't make any sense. Why would Mary and Nickel make the Philistines be against him? Well, only if Saul is already planning to ask for the dowry he's going to ask for. And this is one of those moments that makes you wonder about things. You know, he says, I would like a hundred foreskins of the Philistines as the dowry. I mean, you have to be an Israelite to get that, yeah, uh, to see that this is their uncleanness. And, and it's sort of a big statement about how we are God's people. It's also crass and disgusting, but David's like, well, okay, 100, <laughs> 200 uh, with his men. And they go and, and they bring it back, and this is the dowry, and he is married to Michael. The, the whole point was he was supposed to die. David was supposed to die trying to do that, right? Oops. You know, the whole Uriah gambit, it just didn't work against David as Saul tried it again and again. In any case, uh, he does marry Michal. Um, That seems to go well for a little while. It won't really stay that way. Let's see here. Uh, that brings us to the end of chapter 18. Chapter 19, then, which we heard read, is sort of like more of the same going on here, uh, where... Saul's just getting more and more uncertain of David's reliability, and he begins to say so. And he says so at a certain point in Jonathan's hearing. And Jonathan, we haven't heard from him for a while, but remember, again, he saw David, he loved David, he, they're friends, they hang out together, at least when they're not off at war, or when they're at war, they're, they're working together. Jonathan sees David as an asset to the kingdom. If you were the son of the king and you had a super general who won every war and you thought he was cool because he loved God too, like I think you would like him. Huh? Remember, Jonathan's character is one that is built of faith. When he is introduced to us, it is before David is on the scene. It's a moment where, again, Saul leading the armies is not really willing to do anything. And Jonathan, with one other guy, goes up and sets a whole legion fleeing because he says, well, maybe God will fight for us. Let's go. And they go. And it, it happens. Huh? And so Jonathan's like David. He's like, I'll go in the name of the Lord. One could I even ask, why is Jonathan not therefore allowed to be king after Saul? Well, the answer is because Saul. <laughs> Saul's lineage is cut off by God for his unbelief. Yeah. Jonathan's faith is that that doesn't bother him. He makes covenants with David, says, take care of my house after I'm dead. That's a smart man right there. Right? He knows who the Christ is. Saul does not know his own anointing. David does. Jonathan also does. And in that way, both of them are a foreshadow of men who know their hope is in Christ who will come. And in that way, we all are hoping in the same reality, right? That Jesus Christ, our Lord, is sufficient to be our king in these days. Okay, so again, back into chapter 19. Uh, uh, 
Saul says to Jonathan, I want you to help me kill David. And, and Jonathan just really won't have any of this. And so he not only tells David that that's what's going to happen, he says, let me see if I can intervene. And we have this really cool moment in verse four and following where he does intervene. And he, he says to Saul, like, what are you thinking? This guy's on our side. He's one of our best dudes. What has he ever done wrong? And Saul's like, yeah, you're right. This happens multiple times where Saul's like, oh yeah, yeah totally cool. You're right. And then he'll flip-flop later. Why? The guy's, the guy's just wrong. He's just evil. I don't know how else to say it. He doesn't mean what he says. I think, I think at this point, is this when he says, surely I swear in Christ he will not die? Is that it? Or is it later? The, the, the times that he promises things, and then like he just doesn't care. It doesn't mean anything him that he swore an oath. Before David will flee, he and Jonathan will have this conversation about how uh, they have bound themselves in oath before the Lord, in oath before Christ. That is David saying to Jonathan that whatever you want to do with your life, Jonathan, the vow we made before Jesus matters before Jesus more to me than whatever you want to do. Like every time David gets to talk about it, like those vows are like, let's just make sure those vows are kept. That's how he sees it. Why? Because he believes in his God's name. Saul will make a vow in Jesus' name and not care at all. Ah, whoever fights today and eats some food, kill him. You know, he just, he just is a fool this way. It's, it's powerful to me. Um, so forgive me if I overspeak a little. Um, I've, always, I've always felt for Saul. And this is the first year where I'm finally able to say, no, look, look, the man just doesn't believe. Um, he is convinced for a moment not to kill David. And then David is brought back into the house. Verse uh, 8 tells us there was war again. So a year has gone by. There's a season of influence or attack by the Philistines. David goes out. He's victorious again. And you would think that would make Saul happy. But no, you know by now, that's just going to make Saul think David's a greater threat. And so when David's back, verse 9, again, the distressing spirit comes upon Saul. And uh, he tries to, to pin David to the wall with a spear again. So he's not done with the spears, um, but he's not done chasing David either. This time, David escapes and goes home. But as soon as he gets home, Michal, his wife, says, look, uh, you know, th this is getting out of hand. You're going to die if you don't leave town now. And she, in fact, will let him out of a window, lower him down a window, and then, story of stories, find an idol. Where does she have a statue lying around? She finds an image and she puts it inside of the bed and covers it with some, is it goat hair? No, I can't remember. Um, and then it works for like an evening, right? And then they finally carry in the whole thing on a bed to Saul and they discover that it's a lie. And Nichol says, I'm sorry, not really. Saul says, why'd you do it? And she has a very wise answer. She said, he said, why should I kill you? All right, so I helped him escape so he wouldn't kill me is what she said. This will not lead to a good end of their marriage, unfortunately. But, but in any case, it's, it's quite a thing um, that he is, he is in such need to escape again. He is running for his life. I, I have had plenty of moments in my life where I felt like I was pinned in, but I have never had to escape from a city running for my life on foot. Uh, um, he then goes to Rama. I love this part of the story, chapter 19. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, chapter 19, David goes to Ramah where Samuel is serving as the teacher of the school of the prophets. So Samuel makes like a, a, a triangle around Israel as he teaches in a couple of different places, but Ramah is like his home base. And uh, uh, that means that there are a lot of young men, middle-aged men who are coming there to learn how to be preachers. Uh, the prophets at this time would have been people who were going to teach what Torah said because the priests were not doing a sufficient job of that. And Samuel is setting that up. But it also then means to some extent the Holy Spirit is active here in a way uh, that leads to prophecy. And, and this is what's going to take place. So David's gone here for advice and to, to get support from Samuel. And Saul sends some people after him. They, he's here, they, he hears that he is there and he sends some after him. And uh, these men, as soon as they arrive in the city, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they are driven to prophesy. And again, to describe what that looks like, I don't think is easy. I'm not sure I necessarily know, uh, but I, I do think it's going to be a bit more ecstatic than we would imagine just a normal sermon being. It's certainly going to be something where they were driven to suddenly talk about God. Jesus has risen from the dead. I love Jesus. He's with me. He's with you. You should be with Jesus. Let's go. Jesus is God. Right? It would, and on and on and on. And why would one do this? Well, if you're street preaching, it's not a bad idea necessarily. This happened to these incarcerators who are going to get David so that they can't actually chase David. Like they walk in the city and they begin to prophesy. Happens several times until Saul finally goes after the guy himself, gets up there. He says, where is he again in Ramah? Okay, he goes into Ramah and the spirit falls upon Saul. Again, remember, this guy's had a demon for a while, right? Chasing him around. He hasn't had the Holy Spirit, but there's a spirit upon Saul and he is prophesying to the sky, to the level where he finds Samuel and he's still shouting about how good God is, how God is his savior. God saves the world. God loves everybody. And he strips off his clothes. He's buck naked, shouting and screaming until at last he passes out on the ground and lies there asleep for a day and gets up and decides to try to go kill David really an amazing thing. They say, though, end of the line, right, end of the chapter, is Saul also among the prophets? That's a, it's a proverb to this day. Now what, what's wrong with Saul? <laughs> it's another way to ask the question a little bit. How does the Holy Spirit come so upon a man and yet he just will not? Maybe you get a little of Jesus' heart as he weeps over Jerusalem, right? I would have gathered you, he says, you would not. What remains is the story of Jonathan's loyalty to David. And with just a few moments here, I'll, I'll cap the, uh, all of chapter 20. It's the same thing happens again where uh, Jonathan is trying to intercede. And, and David tells him, look, your father's going to try to kill me. Um, I know that uh, this is what's going to happen. Uh, I have to flee. And, and David says, or Jonathan says, let me, let me sound this out for you first. Let's find out for sure. And David says, all right, here's how we do this. There's a big new moon. That's when all the taxes are due and all this stuff. And there's a big feast. The king's going to have a feast for all his men. So, you know, you're supposed to be at that, David, but if you're not there, how does Saul respond? That'll tell us how he really feels about you. Because if he's trying to kill you and you're gone, he's going to be upset. Well, what do you know? That's what happens. Even though Jonathan doesn't expect that. Jonathan kind of expects Saul to, to, to want David around at this point. He, he sees very clearly that Saul is enraged. And he sees this most when after he tries to say, wait, wait, wait. David just went home 
for a couple days for a sacrifice when Saul then throws his spear at Jonathan. That's when Jonathan goes, I get it. There's, there's no saving my father here. Right? There's no saving well, my kingdom. That's what Saul says as he's shouting about it. You can't establish your kingdom, Jonathan, if David's alive. Jonathan doesn't want a kingdom. Jonathan wants Jesus' kingdom. Jonathan will go out and let David know in the field there's this nice story about shooting arrows and little boy and all this. And they, they weep. They remind themselves of their covenant in Christ, that their belief in who their God is is bigger than their belief in who they are, that they're going to act accordingly, according to that promise. And let's then leave that where we are tonight, that your covenant with me, with each other, is also in Christ according to a baptism we have all received. We all have a bond greater than an anointing as king of Israel. We all have a bond greater than brothers who are bound to each other for the sake of our shared ideologies. We are all members of the single man, Jesus Christ, who has conquered death, who has bound our sins and transgressions in his wounds upon the cross, and who, of course, we are here to, uh, to have our hearts reminded of how much he loves us. May the story of David just begun tonight as we work our way through at Lenten Tide inspire us. Yeah? You, are, you are just like him. You have a God just like him. And even though you might have to run a place or two, the Holy Spirit is right behind the whole way and it's going to send prophecy before you know it. In the name of Jesus.